scripture reading is from Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 to 11. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word of God. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land of the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's uh, continue with a reading in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, would you open our minds and our hearts and our wills by your Spirit to what you have to say to us today? Lord, enable me to say all that you would have me say and nothing that you would not have me say. And we ask that this would be a life-changing word for some here today and a word of comfort, 
correction, inspiration, and challenge for us all. And we pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the eagle-eyed among you may have noticed that these were the same passages that we read two weeks ago. And we've already had a message on these verses from Acts chapter 4, this invitation to bless others in the church who are in need. So why look at this again? And particularly, why raise the unwelcome topic of money and possessions again? In general, people are not very keen on messages about money. Unfortunately, of course, the Bible is full of them. There's something like 3,225 references to what people should do with wealth and possessions in the Bible. I'm struck particularly by two reasons why we're not keen on messages about money. First, we all wrestle with the relationship between money and God. Where do we get our security from? There's a battle going on inside almost all of us between the security that our money provides for us and our dependence on God. And of course, this is the main thing that the Bible talks about in relation to wealth and possessions. But another reason that we're not comfortable with messages about money is that many of us are just getting by. Or we're really struggling to get by. Or we're in debt. It's unwelcome to hear about giving to others when perhaps we long to do so, but we don't feel we have the means. So why am I talking about this again today? Because the call to bless others in the church that's exemplified by Barnabas' act that we've just read about, the sharing of money and possessions that we see as a, a central characteristic of the Jerusalem church, this doesn't occur in a vacuum. There's a context behind what we've read. And if we don't understand something of this context, we won't be able to respond to this passage well. Those who made up the church in Jerusalem, the first church, were devout Jews. We mustn't forget that. And that means two things. It means that they had a particular understanding of debt. And so I want to take a few minutes this afternoon to talk about debt. And I believe that the, the Lord has a word of encouragement for those of you who are experiencing financial struggles. And being a devout Jews also means that they had a particular understanding of giving. And we'll come to that in a few minutes. Now we didn't have time to talk about these things last time, but they're important if we're going to understand this passage well. So I'm going to begin with debt. Um, it's sounding very echoey to me. Is that just me because of where I'm standing? You're hearing okay? Okay, good. I can put up with it then. Even if we completely reject the prosperity teachings that are promoted by some of the TV preachers that we see, 
there is still a tendency for us to believe in our heart of hearts that God's blessing can be correlated with how we are doing financially. Even though we follow a Messiah who had virtually no possessions, who had no place to lay his head, and who relied on the generosity of others to fund his years of ministry, there is still a tendency for us to believe in our heart of hearts that God's blessing can be correlated with how we are doing financially. The passage that we read from Deuteronomy 15 says, if anyone among your people, sorry, if anyone is poor among your people in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. There is no judgment for the person whose finances are not what they would like them to be. Instead, God urges us to have compassion because that's his heart for those who find themselves in financial difficulty. Jesus is even more direct, isn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And again, he says, love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. No judgment for the person who is genuinely in need, not even the enemy. If you are struggling with debt, it is so easy to feel overwhelmed. I want to urge you this afternoon to believe that God is with you in this trial. In his word, he points to the oppressiveness of debt. For example, Proverbs uh, 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And that's how it feels, I think, for many people. In the Bible, we're warned about debt. We're urged to avoid getting into debt, if at all possible. But the urging and the warning are because of the way that debt can take control of our lives. But if it has happened to you, you are not alone. God's heart aches with yours, and he calls his people to stand alongside you, sometimes by giving, at other times by lending generously and compassionately with no expectation of interest. And for those who are more well off, wealth is a gift from God precisely because it gives you a further opportunity to express the love of God to others. In the Old Testament, giving loans is talked about a lot, but loans are not about investment a business opportunity to make money. Now, that's not unknown, and it's not prohibited in the Scriptures, but it's hardly touched on in the Bible. What gets lots of attention are loans given in order to help people who are experiencing economic hardship. In an agricultural society like that of the Bible, this is generally the result of crop failures, uh, or attacks from enemy raiding parties. 
People were not in debt because they were overspending on indulgent lifestyles, but because of circumstances usually beyond their control, they found themselves unable to afford the basics of life. And the Old Testament emphasizes different means, including the canceling of debts completely as an act of mercy, particularly to rescue people from the devastating effects of debt on families, but with no stigma, no judgment. And this is the context for the giving that we see in Acts chapter 4. God's people are doing what they know to be God's heart because it's revealed to them in the scriptures. So if you are struggling with limited resources or with debt today, please know that God is with you and not against you. If you've made mistakes with credit cards or with other forms of lending and you find yourself trapped in debt, God is not against you. I want to urge you to do two things immediately, today. First, if you know that part of your problem is that you have overspent and you're feeling guilty, perhaps you feel that in some measure at least you deserve to be in debt. If that's you, then I want you to confess it to God. If you do, the Bible says he will forgive you, and that is an end to it. You can be free of that guilt. And second, I want to urge you to get help. Don't try to carry the burden of this on your own. And there are all kinds of services available to help you to get out of debt. And please, don't forget the church. Perhaps you don't want everyone to know, but find one person who you can pray with and talk with. Talk to any of the pastors. Uh, we have a fund that might help you, or we can help you to find the, the debt counseling or consolidation services that you need. You do not need to go through this alone one more day. It's this commitment from others in the church that underlies the example of the Jerusalem church that we see in Acts chapter 4. Please don't suffer in silence. It is Satan who wants to crush you. The Lord wants to give you new hope and a future. So one foundation behind the generosity of the church that we've been reading about is this encouraging understanding of debt. I said that there were two that I wanted to draw our attention to. The other is tithing. Again, we need to remember that the Jerusalem church was made up of devout Jews. So in addition to the examples of generosity and sharing that we see in the church, we mustn't forget that all of these people were already tithing. So tithing. I want to tell you three stories about tithing, and then we're done. And the first is from the evangelist, J. John. There's a man at an airport. He has a little bit of time before his flight, and he's feeling a bit hungry. So he goes and gets himself a coffee and a bag of those mini donuts. 
you know? He's looking for somewhere to sit, but all the tables are taken. But then he notices there's a table where there's only one man sitting. So he goes over to that table, he puts his coffee down, he puts his bag down, he gets his coat off, puts it on the chair, sits down, he opens his coffee, has a sip, picks up his bag of donuts, opens it, takes out a donut, starts eating it, and puts the bag down. And then the most extraordinary thing happens. The man opposite stretches over, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag back down, and smiles. The other man is astonished at what he's just seen. He cannot believe that this man has just stolen one of his donuts. What is the world coming to, he's thinking. But he decides he'd better not say anything in case this guy kind of erupts. But he gives them, he gives them one of those um, if looks could kill stares. And then he picks up the bag of donuts, takes another donut, and he moves the bag as close as he possibly can to his coffee and as far away from the other man as possible. Well, a couple of minutes later, while he's sipping his coffee, the man stretches over, picks up the bag, takes out another donut, starts eating it, puts it back on the table, pushes the bag back over to him, smiles. Well, the other guy can't believe what he's just seen. He's done it twice. He's stolen two of my donuts. It's amazing. He can't believe it's real. But again, he decides, well, you better not say anything. A couple of minutes later, the man opposite gets up to leave. The other man thinks, it's about time you left, you donut thief. The man puts on his coat picks up his bag, and just as he's about to leave, he leans over the table, picks up the bag of donuts, there's one donut left inside, he takes it out, he breaks it in half, puts half of it into his mouth, puts the other half back on the bag, moves the bag back over to the man, smiles, and then goes off. The other guy thinks, I'm not touching that donut. Well, a couple of minutes later, the man hears his own flight being called. So he gets up, he puts his coat on, and then he bends down to pick up his bag, and sitting on top of his bag is his bag of mini donuts. He was complaining that the other man was stealing his donuts, when in fact, the other man was sharing his donuts. Now listen to me. Here's the point. God owns all the donuts. God owns all the donuts. Each week, God gives us a bag of donuts, and inside there are ten donuts. And God tells us to take one of the ten and give it to the church. And that's called tithing. Tithing is giving the first 10%. Tithe means 
tenth, 10%. Tithing is giving the first 10% to support your community of faith. And for the early church, initially, this is the temple or the synagogue. Later, it becomes the church. Each year, um, I try to study one uh, preacher, teacher, uh, theologian, missionary, Christian leader. Uh, I read their books. I um, listen to their sermons if they're still alive and have podcasts and the like. I read a biography or more than one biography of them. Uh, and this year, I'm uh, reading and studying R.T. Candle. That's R.T., not R.T., R.T., initials. He was the senior minister at Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. And during that 25 years, he was one of the leading preachers in the English language in the UK. And he tells the story of when he first graduated from seminary. Like many people, when they finish higher education, uh, he finished in debt. And so he was unable to go into the ministry. All of his uh, classmates went straight into churches, but he was not able to do so. He had to earn some money. In fact, he became a vacuum cleaner salesman. And he knew that tithing was biblical. And so he said to the Lord, Lord, I'll begin tithing as soon as I get out of debt. Well, one year later, he found himself deeper in debt. And after two years, he was even deeper in debt. And so at that point, he and his wife talked and prayed, and they decided to begin tithing. And they found themselves a couple of years later, after lots of hard work, out of debt. Now, my point is not that tithing is a strategy to get out of debt. My point is that no matter what your circumstances, you should start by giving God what is rightfully his. The tithe is the first fruits. We don't offer God what is left over at the end of the month. We give him the best, not the last. And R.T. says, and uh, Helen and I have found this to be true uh, over all the years of our marriage, that the 90% that we have left after we've given uh, to the Lord what, what he asks us to give, that 90% will go as far or further than the 100% would have done. Now, you may be asking, isn't the tithe part of the Old Testament law? And we don't live under the law anymore. Well, yes, but that's not where the tithe was introduced. The first time that the tithe is mentioned is with Abraham. Abraham tithes and he gives the tithe to Melchizedek the priest. And this is hundreds of years before the law is given. And in fact, Abraham isn't really the first. As soon as humankind is put out of the Garden of Eden and has to begin to work the land, Cain and Abel bring the first fruits of their labors as an offering to God. In the New Testament, the assumption is that everyone is practicing tithing, and Jesus never tells us to stop. In fact, he challenges people to further giving 
Like when he points to the poor widow in the temple who gives her last two copper coins, not out of her wealth, but out of her poverty. It's not the size of the gift, but what it reveals about the character of the giver. In fact, uh, tithing is actually one of the few things that Jesus commends about the Pharisees. One last story. Artie Kendall grew up in Kentucky, and early in his ministry at Westminster Chapel in London, he was asked by the editor of a Christian magazine in the UK what he saw as the defects of British Christianity. Well, he didn't feel qualified to answer that question, but he was willing to acknowledge two weaknesses that he'd seen among British Christians at that time. Uh, this was back in the late 1970s. One was a weakness in evangelism, and the other was that British Christians in general didn't tithe. But rather than wanting to criticize, R.T. decided that he'd write a book on tithing. He'd written books before, and so he got in touch with his publisher, Hodder and Stoughton, and he proposed to them that he would write a book on tithing. Well, he didn't get a very warm reception. <coughs> there was an awkward silence, and uh, after about a week, they got back to him, and clearly they didn't want to hurt his feelings, but they felt as if this was not going to sell. So they came back to him and they said, will you buy a thousand copies of the book? See, they wanted to cover their financial loss for the first printing. And R.T. said, Yes, he would do that. He got in touch with Billy Graham, with Sir Fred Catherwood, who was the Vice President of the European Parliament at the time, with John Stott and with others, and he asked them all to endorse the work. And that book on tithing is still in print 40 years later. It's gone through something like 60 printings. It's sold all over the world. It's in multiple different languages. And R.T. says what he learned was this. He discovered why so many Christians don't tithe. The reason that so many Christians don't tithe is simply that they have never been taught to. So brothers and sisters, today, will you accept the invitation to give back to the Lord a part of what is his, to demonstrate your dependence on him and to show that money, however much or little we have of it, is not in control of our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, we know that it is true that all things are yours. But we often forget that the things that are in our hands are yours. And we think of them as ours. Thank you for the privilege of all that we are given by you. Lord, we pray for those in this congregation and listening to this service who do not have enough to get by or who are mired in debt. 
We thank you, Lord, that your word offers hope and encouragement, and we pray that they would be able to accept that word today. And for all of us, Lord, we say we want to give you what is best in our lives. We want to give you the first fruits. Help us, Lord, to have the trust in you to be able to do that so that you might lead us on this joyful road to hilarious, joyful giving. And we pray these things in the name of your Son who gave everything for us. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.